Revelation chapter 4. Last week we looked at the first three or four verses and did kind of a topical. And if you weren't with us, entitled the message, A Case for the Pre-Tribulation Rapture. And I think God immensely blessed that study. Um, I had so much feedback. It was awesome of just people saying, man, that really helped me understand a lot of things and so forth. And so I was thankful for that. Tonight what we're going to do is backtrack to the start of Revelation 4 and we're just going to go down through it verse by verse. We won't go into as much detail obviously as we did in the first three or four verses but we'll touch we'll re- on a little things and we'll recap a bit. Again last week looking at that uh, you know a, a case for the pre-tribulation rapture we showed where the thought comes from of the rapture of the church here in Revelation 4. Because remember, we'll go over it again, the church age, and then he says, after these things. And it ties back to the outline given to us there in um, Revelation chapter 1. And, and we, we see the church age ending there. And then what we see next isn't, bam, the tribulation. We see that starting in chapter 6. But in Revelation 4 and 5, we see an incredible picture of our soon home, heaven. Are you in Christ Jesus tonight? Can you say amen to that? Then listen, you have citizenship in heaven. And I think it's only appropriate after looking at the letters of the church that, you know, it ministers to the church and speaks to the church age. And then we see John caught up in heaven. We'll see uh, these 24 elders that seem to clearly represent the fullness of the church in heaven. I think it's only appropriate that God would give us insight into heaven for a few chapters before we see the breaking of the seals by the Lamb of God and the tribulation and where that begins, Daniel's literal 70th week or those last seven years of this dispensation. So again, uh, we're going to get some great pictures of God's awesomeness and His character here in this chapter as well as again, a real clear picture of of glory and also insight into biblical worship and what that's supposed to look like and so forth i don't think there's anywhere better we can go for insight into worship how it should be on earth by looking at worship in heaven as god's put it before us so um let's let's read the first uh five verses here and then we'll jump into this and then lord willing we'll make it down all the way to verse 11 so uh John speaking here, after these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne and he who sat there was like Jasper and a Sardis stone in appearance and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their head, and from the throne proceeding lightnings, or lightnings, thunders, and voices, seven lamps of fire were were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Let's just read down through the end of it. Yeah, and you guys got to get through there and follow along by turning the pages. Verse 6, before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. 
The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes all around with them. And they did not rest day or night, saying, look at this, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Verse 9, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying you are worthy O lord to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created not awesome now again we looked at this in a lot of detail last week but notice how this first verse starts after these things revelation is a lot easier to understand when you see the outline given to us in the first chapter and the 19th verse again john was told write the things which you have seen we know the things that he'd seen was the earthly ministry of christ his death his resurrection he wrote about those things in the first chapter then he says the things which are And the things which are, were, and are the church here on earth. Those seven letters to the seven churches there in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. Letters for them specifically. Letters as well specifically for us. And letters as well that coincide with periods of history in the church over the years. The things which are. We are in the place of the things which are. And then he said there in Revelation 19, and the things which will take place after this. So here are these two chapters, seven letters, Christ speaking to the churches. And then he says, after these things, I looked and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you the things which must take place after this. So we know that the Lord spoke to the churches about an open door. He spoke to them, Philadelphia, the faithful church specifically, about keeping them from the hour of trial that was going to come upon the whole earth. And we know Jesus in his ministry in Luke 21, when he is asked about what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age, he said, amongst other things, speaking about the signs and the things that would unfold he threw in there to his disciples watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the son of man so he spoke about them being pulled out before that great tribulation we talked about that in great detail last week and it seems that john here is a representation of the church being called up through this open door hearing this voice like a trumpet come up here and again i'll show you which takes place after this in context and that's how we study the bible that would be after the church age we also saw last week and we've looked at this all year long for over a year now how the tribulation does not revolve predominantly around the church but it revolves around the nation of israel And we looked at that prophecy timeline given in Daniel 9 that Jesus referred back to. If you want to understand the end of the age, you've got to understand the book of Daniel. You have to understand Daniel's 70 weeks and how the first 69 weeks were fulfilled 
when the decree went forth to rebuild Jerusalem in Nehemiah 2 to the cutting off of the Messiah that we read about in the Gospels. Again, 483 years that happened according to prophecy and then the time clock stopped. And he said, I got one week or seven years left at the end of the age that would be reserved for Daniel's people of them coming to that place of salvation. And we saw there in Romans 11, and Romans 9, 10, 11 speaks of Israel, how God is not done with Israel. It tells us once again that when the fullness of the Gentile comes in or the church comes, you know, the church age comes to an end, God's going to deal with Israel. And we see this over and over in the scripture. That last seven years is predominantly God dealing with Israel. Romans eleven twenty five. he says, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in, and so all Israel be saved. And we talked about this last week, how sometimes people hear, you know what, oh, you know, that, that maybe this next person that gets saved is going to be, you know, the fullness of the Gentiles or the end of the church age when God is going to come back for his church and rapture them. And then God will again deal with Israel in the tribulation and there'll be tribulation saints and so forth. But that's where that comes from. And so who knows, you know, when you're sharing the gospel with folks, maybe you'll be the one God uses to lead that last person to the Lord and They'll say that prayer out of faith to the Lord, and then who knows, you know, maybe they'll be caught up, and we all will right then. God has his perfect timing in it. One question that came up last week was when it says all Israel be saved, I had a few people ask me, does that mean Israel on earth then, or all Israel in times past? It's Israel on earth then. It's Israel then. I mean, look at you're not saved by your ethnicity you're not saved because, you know what, you're part of a tribe of Israel. We are saved by grace through faith in the Lord. That's true for everyone now. That's true for everyone back then. There are many Jews that, again, had the first dibs on the gospel. We read about many of them in the Old Testament. They rejected Christ. They didn't put faith in the Lord. They died without faith in the coming Messiah. They died without salvation. They don't get a redo. This is talking about God gathering Israel in the last days as a nation as he does as he, as he has done and then through that tribulation we read about two-thirds of Israel being destroyed by Antichrist but that third that remains absolutely comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ so that's what he's speaking about Israel at that time that's going to go through this time called Jacob's trouble during especially the second half of the tribulation so again after these things I looked Behold, a door was standing open, and then he speaks about hearing a voice of a trumpet saying, come up here. And this is phraseology that lines right up with what Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians when he describes the rapture of the church, which is 100% biblical. And again, there's all kinds of people running around. There's no rapture of the church in the Bible. Have you read the Bible? Well, I've never read the word rapture there. Again, Have you ever read the word Trinity in the Bible? You don't read that word, but in this chapter right here, we see the Trinity. We know God's the Father. We know that God is the Holy Spirit. God is the Son. They're singular, yet they are one. It's throughout God's word. That word Trinity is not there, but the Trinity is there. The word rapture, again, you're not going to find it in the Bible, but you're going to find in the English the word caught up, which means to be raptured. 
It means to be violently taken from. And we'll just read it again. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe Jesus died and rose again, do we believe that tonight? Can we say amen to that? Even so, God will bring with them those who sleep in Jesus. So again, their body is asleep in the earth. Their soul comes back with Jesus to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. So Paul's saying, I'm not making this up. This isn't my opinion. This isn't my thought. This is the word of the Lord. As the Holy Spirit moved upon Paul, he penned this. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. John says here, I heard a voice like a trumpet. We read here again with the voice of an archangel like a trumpet. Well, excuse me, with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be. Are we ready for it? Where's the rapture in the Bible? We shall be, are you ready for it? Caught up. Together to meet them in the clouds, uh, to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And then notice verse 18. Therefore comfort one another with these words. And some people, that's, that's nowhere in the Bible. Listen, it's in the word, and God says comfort one another with that. That the day is coming when the Lord is going to catch up his church in the air and we saw last week, many, many times, the Lord says, watch and always be looking because you don't know when that day is coming. He does give description of signs and the earth and so forth. And we see those things just unfolding rapidly around us. But we don't know exactly when. So we always want to be looking and about the Lord's business. Now, one other couple other things just on this verse. He says, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Listen, Jesus throughout the scripture describes himself as the door. And the only way you're going to go through that door is through faith in Jesus Christ. John, John 10, 7, Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life, and they may have it abundantly. So he is that door. Paul sees that door. He enters into heaven through that door. And the only way anyone can go through that door is Jesus Christ, who describes himself as the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him. Why? Why aren't there many doors? Why aren't there many ways? Because it's our sin that separates us from God the Father. And only Jesus Christ atoned for our sins. He paid the debt. You want to get in, you have to have your debt paid. Jesus paid that debt. That debt cannot be paid by any other means. We are sinners. We are bankrupt spiritually. And there is no other means of salvation then Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came and lived a sinless life, and he laid down his life on the cross, not for himself, but for you, for me, to pay our debt. He paid the penalty of our sin. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died for our sins. But because he was sinless, he conquered sin and death when he rose from the grave. Listen, in Christ, our debt's paid. Isn't that awesome to know tonight? We're under grace now. We're under the shed blood of the Lamb. And it's so through faith in him, again, 
we receive that salvation that forgiveness that he offers to all but you have to again choose the lord and now we have the assurance of our salvation that we will enter in through the door of jesus christ and again in john 14 1 he speaks of the time again it's another place where we see a picture of the rapture when he's going to come for his church and take us up notice john 14 1 let not your heart be troubled remember that tonight is your heart troubled about something tonight the lord says let not your heart be troubled you believe in god believe also in me that's a remedy to a troubled heart get your eyes on god get your eyes on jesus christ in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so i would have told you he says i go to prepare a place for you and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come again and receive you to myself that where i am there you may be there you may be also the lord's not a liar he says i'm going away i'm making a mansion for you and the day is coming when i'm coming back for you and you will be where i am so what a glorious promise we have i i really don't the, the, the amount of biblical ignorance and illiteracy in the world is just off the charts and people say well you know i just can't believe in a rapture i just can't believe that idea of us as being caught up well again maybe you should go read about enoch <laughs> who walked with god and was not and was what caught up maybe you should read about elijah who was caught up in a whirlwind to glory and so forth maybe you should read about jesus after his resurrection he was caught up he was ascended into glory. There's about seven to nine pictures of raptures in the Bible, previous ones. We read out the rapture of the church here. And then even in the tribulation, there's two witnesses that bear witness to the power of God. The beast supposedly kills them. Everyone rejoices. Three and a half days later, they resurrect. And guess what? They're caught up. God likes rapturing people, just so you know. He's very into it. And the day is coming when he is going to take his church up. What a glorious day that's going to be. And again, he says, I must show you the things that must take place after this. Again, context, the church age. And what's he see immediately? He doesn't see the tribulation immediately, but he sees heaven immediately. Here's the church age. What comes next? Here's heaven. Verse 2, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. Immediately in the spirit. So again, this is a picture of a trumpet that happens like that. It's fulfilled like that. We read about a trumpet of judgment later in Revelation that happens over a period of time. This is a trumpet that happens immediately. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, we see yet more scriptures about, are you ready for it? the rapture and we read behold i tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we all shall be changed in a moment in what a twinkling of an eye this follows the description here in revelation when at the last trumpet seems to be clearly the last trumpet of the church age for the trumpet will sound the dead in christ will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed oh but the rapture is not in the bible dude read your bible i don't know who you're listening to but it's all over the Bible, and to deny it is to be one who is not rightfully dividing the Word of God. Well, what's it really mean here? It means what it says. We're going to be caught up, changed, and it goes on to say that mortality is going to be swallowed up by, guess what? Immortality. 
That's a glorious thing. You know, when God created man, he didn't create him to die. Death came in when man ate of that tree. Jesus Christ made a way to rectify that. And through faith in him, we have, again, salvation. And the day is coming when these physical bodies, we won't get a new body. These bodies will be transformed to a body that's not marred by sin. It's what we're supposed to look like before Adam sinned in that garden. What a glorious day that will be. Now he says, immediately I was in the spirit. And so it seems that John was caught up in the spirit. And again, we read about Paul being caught up into heaven. And it's kind of a mystery to him. He even said, I don't know if I was physically there. I don't know if I was in spirit. I don't know what was going on, but I saw a vision of heaven. And so with John here, he's in the spirit. So obviously it's a picture of him having a vision from the Holy Spirit. And he's probably in a similar place where Paul is. Am I there bodily? I don't know, but I know I'm in there in spirit through the Holy Spirit, seeing these things, having revelation from God of Jesus Christ given to him. I know here on earth, God wants us as well to be in the spirit. When we get saved, we get sealed with the spirit. We read about a filling of the spirit and we read as well as a call to walk in the spirit. And when we're walking in the spirit, the scripture says we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh galatians five sixteen, which really is a picture of us when we are in a place where we're yielded to the lord walking in the spirit is a picture of saying i want to follow god's word asking we read about for the spirit to fill us daily but i don't know about you guys but i found it's a lot easier for me to be in the flesh than the spirit <laughs> and it's something that they're asked to be a diligence in my life to heed that call to daily take up my cross and follow the lord boy it's a struggle isn't it paul wrote about it how i do the very thing that i hate my my spirit my inner man wants to serve the lord my flesh wants to do something out and then he cries out who will set me free from this body of death you ever been in that place and then he says thanks be to god through jesus christ and you know what the day is coming when we're caught up when we are going to be in the spirit and we will be in the spirit from that day forward in the sense of being in a place of never ever walking in the flesh again our sin nature will be done away with there's gonna be perfect fellowship with god perfect fellowship with one another they're gonna be squabbling in heaven it's gonna be glorious we're all gonna walk according to his heart and his mind in one accord what a glorious day that's going to be. That's a comforting word right there, is it not? And then notice here, he, he says, And behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And we know the one who sits on the throne is God Almighty, who, again, is in heaven above all things. We're going to talk more about this on Sunday in the psalm we're going to look at. Again, it talks about God being above all things. There's a New Age phrase that says, As above, so below. It's the picture of the yin and the yang. You ever see that before? That's a new age lie that says there is, an, there is a, a balance in the universe between light and darkness and good and evil and as above, so below. So Satan's as mighty as God. No, 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 no. God's above all things. There ain't no yin and yang. There ain't no as above, so below. No, there's God almighty who's ruling and reigning on high above everything. 
We read Jesus, about Jesus, you know, talking about this. Sitting at the right hand of his father, but really it's a picture of him sitting with his father on this throne with the Holy Spirit, a picture of the Trinity. Notice Mark 12, 35, it says, Jesus answered and said while he taught on the temple, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So Jesus was trying to show them that David prophesied of the Son of God, who is God, and God the Father would say to God the Son, via God the Holy Spirit, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. And then in Revelation 3.21, Jesus said to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. So who's on this throne? It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And then notice again, and I just said it, but notice where God is in heaven. He's on his throne right now. He is an office throne. He's always on it, which is, again is a picture of majesty and power and might and position. He's on his throne. He's not pacing around. He's not going, oh, that world down there is out of control. What are we going to do? He's on his throne. He's not worried. Are you worried tonight? He's not worried. He's not rattled. He's not panicked. Even in the most unstable time that's about to unfold upon the earth in its history, the great tribulation, God's on his throne. Listen, in this chapter alone, the word throne is used 14 times in this chapter. And guess what? Every time God's on, you know, God's on his throne. And it's mentioned 46 times in the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's on his throne. And this is something that comes up over and over in the word. I won't give a lot of commentary, but listen to a few of these verses. Psalm 11:4. the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. And behold, his eyelids test the sons of men he says on heaven on his throne but he's watching down here that should be something that encourages our heart and at the same time sobers our heart psalm 47 8 god reigns over the nation god sits on his holy throne and again what a great word we see these nations today shaking their fists at god but wait a minute god's on his throne god's in control Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all, over all. Uh, listen, established, I love it. I was thinking about this and you, sometimes you'll see a business established, 1993, you know. Established, 1954. Established, 1922, oh wow. What's it say about God? Established forever. <laughs> everlasting to Everlasting. We'll talk more about that on Sunday too, the Lord willing. Isaiah 66, 1, the Lord said, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Let's just remember that tonight. And so as John is caught up in the spirit, listen, he's before the throne of God. And you know, beautifully in Christ tonight, we too can come before the throne of God with our praise, our thanksgiving, our supplication, intercession, bringing our burdens before him on our worst day. In the time of need, Christ has made the way to go to the Holy of Holies as believers in Christ to obtain help in our time of need. Hebrews 4.14, seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Isn't that glorious to know? But one who is in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. And then notice verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may attain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So we're seeing this picture of the throne of God and God sitting on it in heaven. And then we are told right here through the shed blood of Christ, we can come boldly in our time of need. Even when devil's going, oh, God doesn't want to hear from you. Now you're, you know, you need this help because you're an idiot. You're a knucklehead. You're a sinner. Anyone ever been there before? But wait a minute. I can come boldly because Jesus has paid the penalty of my sin. Jesus has made the way. So I can come boldly, not to order God around, but to obtain help in my time of need from the throne of grace. Let's take advantage of that. Let's find ourselves more and more before the throne of God. The one who, again, is reigning over all. Now, one other note on this, and this sets up some things that we're going to look at. Again, after this, we see heaven. We see John caught up in a picture that looks very much like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This also seems to be the time of what's called the Bema Seat Judgment. In 2 Corinthians 5, 9, it says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The context here is Christians. Non-believers are judged at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, at the white throne judgment. The word judgment seat here is referring to what's called a bema seat judgment. Supposedly there's going to be Olympics. I don't know if they're going to like shut the world down again. Supposedly there's Olympics here in the next month or so. And the, uh, the medals when they're given, people stand on a podium. It's the same verbiage given here in this second letter to those in Corinth. A bema seat judgment where medals or awards are given. Now again, we don't earn our salvation. We're saved by grace through faith. But the Bible talks about using our talents and our time for the glory of God. And in that, there's rewards that are given. And this seems to be the place where that happens because we're going to see in a few verses these elders that seem to clearly represent the totality of the church from the church age have crowns that they cast before the Lord to worship Him with. So those crowns had to come at some time, and it seems clearly this judgment seat, again, is a gathering of the saints and an awarding of, you know, at crowns and gold, silver, precious stones that it speaks of, given to us to be able to use to worship God, not to strut around and say, hey, check out my crown, y'all. You know? It's not for that. There ain't going to be none of that glory. There ain't going to be no strutting around, hey, here I come, you know? And be, oh, look at your little crown there. You know, it could be any of that. But there's also going to be an acknowledgement. And the Bible talks about those that buried their gifts being in a place of regret. And there's a bit of a mystery in it, but it seems that the regret isn't because, oh, I want more. But it seems clearly a regret because I want more to be able to worship them with to bring before his feet and we're going to fully get this when we get there but i know it's not going to be 
a thing of selfishness. Listen, there's going to be no selfishness and glory. It's, it, even in this, all the worship's around God. Verse 3, it says, And he who sat there was like a jasper and like a sardis stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Now notice a big key to this. He who sat there, we know who's sitting there as God, was like. There's a big difference between was like and was. It's not saying he was a jasper stone. He was a rainbow. John is trying to bring description to things that no doubt are beyond, you know, a human recognition. So he said, this is the best I can do. This is what... what He's like. And a jasper and a sardis, sardis stone, it's a picture of a, a brilliant yellow and oranges color. I think of the high priest in Exodus 28 where it says he had a, a, a vest he put over his heart that had stones that represented all the tribes of Israel. And we just read about how Jesus is our high priest. And one of the things he does is, again, represent us to the Father and makes intercession for us, just like the high priest did back then. It just comes to my mind when I read that. And then it says he was like a rainbow. There was a rainbow around the throne. And isn't that interesting? You know, we read in the Scripture, the rainbow is a godly thing. It was given as a promise from the Father to man that he would never destroy the world again with a flood there would never be a worldwide flood again and he said this is a covenant and when we look up and we see those rainbows we should rejoice it's a picture of god's grace and god's mercy so this rainbow is absolutely a picture of that aren't you glad we serve a god of grace and mercy and yet isn't it so like this day we're living in this great picture of god's grace and mercy that we see in glory has been taken to try to use and twist as an idea to give liberty to sin and rebellion, to celebrate sin and rebellion. It's a symbol of rebellion. And I think of 1 Peter where it says how in the last days they'll willfully forget that God, create, that God destroyed the earth before with a flood. You know, talking about, oh, he delays his coming. And in forgetting that, they also forget that the time's coming when he will destroy it with fire and he says i'm not slack concerning my promise and it's a call again to salvation and to sober mindedness for believers and for christians and it's really all getting out of control just that that whole movement and everything else it's just very sad is is what it is and i could go on a rant right now but i'm not i'm not even gonna give that any time tonight it's just it, it ain't I'm not doing that tonight. We're, we're looking at heaven here. That's a glorious thing. Verse 4. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. This is huge right here. This is huge to understand things. Notice, 24 thrones with 24 elders. It's a picture of fullness. It's a picture of something completed. It doesn't say there was 24 thrones and 20 elders up there. 24 thrones and 24 elders. Again, they're seated on these thrones. They're clothed with white robes. And they have crowns of gold on their heads. Now again, if we go back to those letters. In the church age to the seven churches. We see the Lord speaking to those churches, and we'll look in detail in a second, 
But he who overcomes in Revelation 3, 5 shall be clothed in white garments. Revelation 2, 10, be faithful until death and I'll give you the crown of life. And Revelation 2, 26, he overcomes and keeps my works until the end. I will give power over the nations. This is a description of these elders. An elder is a representation of others. This seems to be a clear picture of the fullness of the church in heaven. Again, those letters talking to the church itself that you're going to sit on a throne. You're going to have a white garment. You're going to have a crown on your head. Well, where's our thrones and so forth? That's just the elders. That's not what Jesus said, and he's not a liar. Again, there's a fullness here. Again, Revelation 3, 21, he overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. And he doesn't say if you're one of the elders. To him who overcomes, are you overcomer tonight? We are, not through ourselves, but through the Lord. We overcome sin, death, Satan, and hell through faith in Jesus Christ. And then again, Revelation 3, 5, he overcomes, shall be clothed, in white garments that's the righteousness of christ that comes not by our actions but through faith in jesus christ and matthew 22 the lord gives a parable of a wedding feast and someone coming in and not having a wedding garment and the lord booting him and he likes it to the to heaven again you have to be clothed with the righteousness of christ god ain't bringing sin into glory heaven ain't going to be tainted by fallen man we can have all this nonsense up there He's speaking to all the church, though. And then Revelation 2.10, be faithful unto death. And again, saving faith is going to be one that carries you to the end. I will give the crown of life. He doesn't say if you're an elder. And then he speaks again to all the church. He overcomes and keeps my works until the end. I'll give him power over the nations. That's a picture of eldership. It's a picture of reigning. It's a picture of leadership. He says, after these things, come up here we see these elders with a description of everything the lord promised to the church to those who would overcome in these elders 24 thrones all filled a picture of completeness and then some would say oh come on steve you're stretching and so forth well listen revelation 5 8 is huge to this it's in the next chapter look let's look at it together down to verse 10 now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are prayers of the saints. And these sang a new song saying, worthy, you are worthy to take the scroll and open the seals for you were slain. Again, this is the 24 elders and you have redeemed us to God by your blood. Notice here out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Listen, I don't, think, I don't think we need a deep history lesson. There's been a lot more than 24 tribes, tongues, peoples, and nations in the history of the world. Again, it's a picture of a representation of all who have come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we even read in the first chapter that in Christ we are kings and priests unto God. This is a picture of everyone in Christ Jesus. It's a picture of the church in glory. Now notice verse 8. 
And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunders, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Lightnings, thunders, and voices, they always precede a storm. And a storm is about to be unleashed upon the earth starting in chapter 6. This is where the idea comes of perhaps the church being raptured and there being a period of time before the world is actually thrust into the tribulation. We don't know exactly how it's all going to unfold. One thing we do know is we're always to be watching and looking for the coming of the Lord. Can we say amen to that? But boy, hasn't there been a lot of talk lately about UFOs? I mean, it's just all over the place. Oh, Obama said, you know, yeah, there's UFOs. And Trump said, yeah, there's UFOs. And this general said there's UFOs. Now, it's just an unidentified flying object. It could be a a weather balloon, for goodness sakes. But they're speaking about these things doing stunts and appearing and moving in manners that they can't explain that really defies kind of the rules of nature and so forth. What in the world's going on? I don't know if that's going to be used as a mass deception. But when you really start kind of looking into testimonies of this stuff, boy, it looks just like demonic activity. Jesus talked about there being signs in the sky at the end of the age. In the days of Noah, we know angels fell and took on women and they produced these men of renown and so forth. We don't got time to get deep into that tonight. We've talked about it before, but obviously it's a picture of great supernatural activity here on earth. Deeper in Revelation, it talks about a time when hell's open and there's certain angels that were the ones that fell and had women being loose. They're bound up right now, knowing their time short, so they're let loose on earth to wreak havoc. Listen, that tribulation is not going to be a fun time to be around for. But we know a storm is coming. And there's many out there floating the idea, and they, they might be spot on that when the church is taken and the world is going, what in the world is going on? People used to say, there'd be so many people gone in America, the economy would collapse. I really question that now. 50% 50% of, Christ, of American are Christians. I, I, maybe five, I don't know. I don't know the number, but I, I, I know it ain't, I, don't, I know it's not big enough to like collapse the economy, in my opinion. God knows, I don't know. But if all these people are gone, even if it's five or 10%, and again, we know out of Sodom and Gomorrah, three got out. <laughs> and we know in the days of Noah, seven got out. And what got them out? They were saved by grace through faith the same way we're saved. There's obviously going to be a larger number than that that goes. Though Jesus said, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? Well, I even find faith on the earth. That's how rare it's going to be. But there will be people gone, and then there's going to need to be an explanation. And boy, wouldn't a good one be, boy, you know what? Our friends came and took all the bad people away. Because Christians are being villainized unlike any other time. 
But I'll tell you why that's going on on earth, if that's how it unfolds. I'm not saying that it will. I'm just throwing out a scenario of how it may unfold. Guess what's going on in glory? While they're down there and the Antichrist has appeared and they're saying peace and safety, there's lightnings and there's thunders and there's voices and there's roars in heaven getting ready to pour out the wrath of God on a world that says, we don't want you, God. We don't want you. Got some verses in your notes that talk about that storm when it's poured out. Also notice he sees seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And we looked at the seven spirits of God before earlier in our study in Isaiah 11.2. It just seems to be a picture of the fullness of the Holy Spirit because we see seven descriptions of the Spirit of God in Isaiah 11.2, that he is the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And look at, we read of a, a, a fire burning with these seven spirits of the Holy Spirit. And I know Jesus talks about being baptized with the Holy Spirit of fire here on earth. And boy, we need that more than ever. To be a people moving in His pot, might and His power. Now notice verse 6. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And again, he's saying like. John's doing his best to describe this. It was like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and all around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. And the first living creature was like a lion, the second like a calf, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Crystal, it's a picture of, of, of purity. And it's interesting, later on in Revelation 22, it speaks of a new heaven and a new earth. And it says, God show me a pure river of water of life clear like crystal proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. There seems to be a relation here of what we read about here and then the new heaven and new earth that sets down the new Jerusalem that sets down on earth. And it says, In the middle of the streets on either side of the river was a tree of life which bore 12 fruits, each yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You know, beautifully in Christ... We don't have to wait till then to seek healing here on earth. Physically, look at we bring those things before the Lord. I always say as I read my Bible, I see we serve a God who heals, is healing, and is going to heal. It's all in God's timing. It might be until we go to be with Him, but He says, cast those cares upon me. And listen, I know the same is true spiritually. We got a God who heals, is healing, And in Christ, we're going to be healed completely. Let's partake of that water right now via the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, well, it says, in the midst and around were these four living creatures. The word creature is the Greek word zoe, and you know it's the English word for zoo. (laughs) He said, I saw a zoo in heaven. People are like, oh, is my dog going to be in glory? Ecclesiastes says they don't have a spirit, they return to the earth. I've got to be straight with you. <laughs> they're a great blessing, but they're not made in the image and likeness of God. But there's going to be a zoo in heaven. You could be taken care of. Everything's going to be fine. You're going to have completeness in Christ. You're going to have that in the Lord. 
And we see this zoo in heaven. Again, they're going to speak and they're going to give praise to God. They're going to give glory to God. And honor to God. Eyes in the front and the back. It's a picture of seeing everything in six wings. And then there's all kinds of ideas with the lion, calf, face of man, flying eagle. After the flood, Noah was talked to by God and he talks about man, birds, cattle, and every beast that seems to kind of tie into this. A lot of thoughts with it. We ain't going to go down that you know, a path tonight. But one thing I want to point out over and over, it says they're living creatures. This living creature, that living creature, the next living creature, the fourth living creature. The word living means living ones. It means vibrant with life. Why are they vibrant with life? They're near the throne of God. They're continually worshiping God. God's the giver of eternal life. God's the giver of abundant life. You need to get a life tonight, get near to God. You need strength tonight, get near to God. You ought to be sustained in this life, get near to God. Get near to the Lord. He will rejuvenate you. He will lift you up. He will strengthen you. He'll give you fresh vigor and zeal and everything you need to live for Him here on earth. Verse 8. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes all around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They don't rest day or night. In other words, they worship nonstop. And God's called us to do the same. Talked about it a few weeks ago, the call, and even last Sunday, to be worshipers of God. And there's a way to do that 24-7 and just saying, I want to live unto the Lord. I want to do my work unto the Lord. I want to try to honor God with my words. I want to be in a place of fellowship with God while walking amongst men, representing Him well. Notice as well as they worship, all the focus is upon the Lord. The focus isn't on them. The focus isn't on the elders talking, saying, man, aren't you entertained by this? Aren't you dazzled by this? No, the focus is all upon the Lord. That's how our worship should be. It shouldn't be a matter of, do I feel like worshiping or not? How is this making me feel? It should be, look, let's focus on, on the Lord and give glory to God. Give praise to the Lord. And notice the words, holy, 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 Father, Son, Holy Spirit. An acknowledgement of the Trinity. And then an acknowledgement of the uh, eternal nature of our God who is forever and ever, who was and is and is to come. Spoken of the Father, spoken of Christ, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then verse 9, whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever. And they're doing this nonstop. The 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever, and notice what they do. They cast their crowns before the Lord, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they all exist and were created. They take those crowns. Again, the creatures give glory and honor and thanks. The elders then fall down before God and they cast their crowns before Him and it's acknowledgement. I only have this crown because of God. This ain't my crown. God saved me. 
God gave me gifts. God gave me the ability to be able to serve him. This crown belongs at his feet. Let's do the same here on earth. Who are we to boast about anything? We should give God praise in everything. And what comes out of their mouth? A clarity that we need today to recognize you're worthy, O Lord. You're worthy to receive glory, honor, and again, power. Listen, we have power. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to use that for the glory of God? You're worthy of all of it. Why? You created all things. And all things exist because of you. And were created for you. We live in an age where it's, it's just, I laugh every time someone says, I got to learn to love myself. Dude, we do that better than anything. Oh, no, but I don't know you are. That's why you're talking about yourself right now. We are so wrapped up within ourself. When it's all about the Lord. And listen. You're not going to find life wrapped up in yourself. You're going to find life wrapped up in the Lord. And recognize it's about him. And people say, no, it's about me. I've got to hold on to me. Jesus said, if you hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lay it down for his sake, you're going to gain it. You really want to find out who you are. You really want to walk in, again, strength and might and have a purpose for living. Be about giving praise to God. Again, we're only here because God created us and we are here for his pleasure. It's not the other way around. God, you're there to pleasure me and do what I tell you to do. And boy, when you're not, I really don't like you, God. And one day I'm going to tell you off and, you know, we're going to set you straight. Notice Colossians 1.16 will close on this. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principality or powers, all things were created through him. Notice here, and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And these elders are singing this out before God Almighty. All things are for him. And again, I know it goes against our, our carnal nature, our selfish nature. But the more we learn that and walk in that, we don't lose life, we gain life. Listen, if you really love yourself, and we all do, it's funny, but it's true. You really love yourself, you want to do yourself a favor, die to self and grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you really love yourself, that's what you're going to do. That's God's counsel to us. That's where life's found in Him. Well, Heavenly Father, we bless you and praise you, God. What a glorious picture before us, God. I know we're barely even scratching the surface of these things, Lord. But I thank you, God, that we don't have to sit back and imagine heaven. <laughs> Boy, we can get in big trouble doing that. We can read about it right here. You're giving us revelation right here, right before us. Oh, Lord, what we read of is glorious. I thank you, Lord, that the day is coming when, God, we're going to have a perfect desire for you and it's going to be perfectly fulfilled at every turn. Let us be a people, God, that are about your business while we're here on earth. Let us be a people watching and looking for your return. 
Let us be found of people growing in you to your glory and to your praise, God. We need your help in all of that. We need your word renewing our mind. We need the work of the Holy Spirit in our life day in and day out. And Lord God, I thank you that you are rich in grace and mercy and want to lavish on lavish that on us in every turn. Otherwise, we'd be in big trouble. Just bless your people tonight, God, your saints here. And listen, if you're here and you haven't called upon Christ, we talked about the cross and the gospel tonight, the good news of Jesus. He stands ready to wash and cleanse and forgive any who will call on his name. Call on the Lord. Humble your heart before him. Receive the forgiveness and salvation he has for you through faith in him as the Lord of your life. That's a prayer that says, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord, not for a two-minute prayer all the days of my life. Take charge, Lord. I want to follow after you. Help me. He will meet you where you are at. There's no doubt about it. Bless the rest of our eating, our fellowship right now, God. We thank you and praise you. And God, pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And we said together, amen. God bless you.